Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. We uh, live in a VUCA world. Many of you who've been uh, following this podcast, I've had lots of people come on talking about this unique era we're in, where there's volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, but those of us who know the term VUCA, it's basically a state we're always in. We're always in some form of change, some form of crisis. So the question on the table for leaders is how they deal with it. There's lots of different approaches, lots of different methods, but as you know, the great conversations all about this viral nature of our connected relationships and someone the other day advised me to talk to Emilio Gali Zugaro, who at the end of the day turns himself a jester, uh, but is leading the Orvito Academy for Communicative Leadership, which we'll find out about in a second. But it's so good to have you on, Emilio. Thank you, Ron. It's my pleasure. Actually, you didn't say jester, you said bozo. <laughs> yes, I don't but take myself as seriously as to be a court jester, just a bozo. I think we'll take you seriously for a moment, if nothing more than you have as big a bookshelf behind your head as I do. And so that means you're well read and you have lots of ideas. But also, uh, people may not know this, many years of experience dealing with this concept of communicative leadership, um, and also crisis in the, in the form of crisis management. Tell me a little bit about that background for a second, if you can. Well, um, I was, uh, I was having a job at, at the world's largest insurance company and insurance is about, it's about catastrophes. It's about, uh, um, terrorist attacks, um, affecting human lives and the economy. We had, um, 400 people of our of our large group of our company uh, who were in uh, in one of the towers and actually were saved on September 11th by a very courageous wonderful manager um, who saved them just in the last minute um, and if a tsunami hits uh, hits a power plant a nuclear power plant in Japan that's also part of the of the business an insurance company has to take care of so um, I was uh, I was uh, in charge of that uh, of that, but you know, being in charge is is just a very stupid description of what you do because you are not in charge of anything. Um, maybe if you did your work well, you have contributed to create a culture, um, a good company culture, is tantamount first of all to avoid crises, and when you cannot avoid them, like an earthquake or or an act of God than to deal with them. So um, it is very important to tap the brains and the hearts, um, the invention, the, the, um, the diversity of the people who work with you, whether within the company or outside of the company. So, um, you know, being a crisis manager is, is overrating oneself. Actually, the saving of, of the people working for the company that we then own called Fireman's Fund in, in the Twin Towers um, uh, was done autonomously by our manager because the cell phones were off. We knew the first plane had hit, but we could not communicate with him. And he acted himself, deciding himself, because he was granted autonomy, he was grand, he was empowered, he was enabled, and he had good, good common sense, conventional wisdom, and he acted in a very courageous 
brave way. I'm, I'm not allowed to mention his name because he's so modest, he never allowed us to tell the story outside. Uh, but those who are there know him. Uh, well, I can say his name is Art. I will not um, reveal his surname, a real hero. Um, so it wasn't managed out of a crisis team, which was obviously a meeting immediately after the first plane hit, uh, but it was managed by a good company culture. So, um, so I don't want to take any laurels that I don't deserve. Um, I was just running a team, helping processes, dealing with crises. That actually is not only an incredible story, Emilio, but is also kind of the genesis that spawned, I think, the two things you do, which is run this Academy for Communicative Leadership, but also you're the chairman of one of the largest, if not the largest, change management consulting company in Italy. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And am I correct? That was the genesis that formed what you do today. Uh, that is giving back to leadership and their teams to help them create highly empowered, enabled, which means trained cultures. Well, you know, I'm always a little cautious uh, with, you know, defining things in hindsight. Uh, curricula, uh, lives are, are, um, are re redesigned in hindsight as if they were leading to that one important moment. And um, a good friend of mine uh, said to me, you know, the older we get, the better we were. Uh, so um, they actually, yes, there is. And, and probably the tie between those is, um, and that is a, a little gift that I got and that I can, I can forward to others, is being yourself. Because that's part of me. Because I was, I was grown up uh, in a family with a family history um, that was dealing with service. Uh, of family since generations served uh, the Italian king and, 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 and stuff like that. And made of service, made of being close to power without exerting it, being curious for power phenomena, um, being in the second rank, always being more of a counselor than an actor. Um, and uh, the, the, the curiosity for people, the, the blessing of having had parents who, who helped me, um, you know, learning languages from, from, from my childhood on. I'm fluent in German and Italian, French and some English. So uh, that, was, that was all what I was, what I was gifted with uh, by life. And, and, and then I brought it into, into my working environment um, and then it turned out to be a wonderful story, but everybody can have their wonderful story. Let me just share one little story because otherwise, you know, we tend to bloat and, 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 uh, and, 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 and grow uh, egos with that. But, you know, when you look at, at a fulfilled life, you can take little, little examples. And, and I was uh, with, with our two youngest boys when, when the small one was, was one and a half and, and the big one was seven. Um, and we stopped at a gas station on the German Autobahn. And um, it was my wife's turn to change the diapers because the, the baby's shop was in, in, in the women's toilet. And I was waiting there with, with my elder son. Um, and, uh, and, and the lady caring for the toilets um, asked my son and myself, how did you find the toilets? And I was sort of surprised by the question as my son was. And my son thought a little and said, well, other to all the other toilets, I know they smell good. It has a good smell. And, 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 and I added, yes, they're, they're very clean. But, you know, I'm interested. Why are you asking this question? And she said, you know, my, my husband drives trucks. 
And he always tells me there are two reasons why I stop at certain uh, gas stations. First is if they have a good sausage, and the second is if they have clean toilets. And I won't make traveling as nice as I want to make it for my husband, for all the people who come by. What a wonderful description of a purpose in a micro world. Uh, so I think everybody can have this. And if you stand by yourself and you you leverage whatever talents you, you have, then you can turn this into a story that when you're 90, you look back and you can you can weave uh, the, the red thread that brought you there, which hasn't existed at the beginning, at inception, and is only there in hindsight. But the real red thread is yourself. That is beautiful. Um, we would like to think we're in control. And there are narratives that we collide against while we're authoring our own narrative. And the bits and pieces act like, like a puzzle. They can be, except this puzzle can be put together many different ways, depending on the decisions we make. That, that's a, the beautiful image that came to my mind with your words. And story, the other thing I just heard is story is ubiquitous. It's not isolated. Story is ubiquitous in everything we do. So, so how do you help people discover their story? Um, I was a journalist. So um, curiosity is, is not only killing the cat, but is also fostering talents. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm curious. I like people. My wife teases me. She says, you can't even stand in a queue at the mail office uh, without coaching the woman in front of you and, and the guy behind you. I mean, uh, she, she, you know, she hates when, when we have to board a long taxi drive because uh, I engage in conversations with the driver. Um, it's what I love because, because I'm curious, because the stories of people are, are so telling, are so, uh, so interesting. They're, um, look, everybody, I don't know what, what happened to you, whether there's, there's a wonderful book by Roman Knarczyk by... Uh, the, the big, you know, expert on empathy called empathy. And he says that one of the things that um, that you can do to learn empathy, because empathy can be learned, um, is, for example, you know, arts, music will we'll come to that, uh, but also reading books. And I was an avid book reader as a young boy. I Jack London and, and Karl May and, and Emilio Salgari. And um, I, I just loved them. I hid at four siblings and I hid away in the only silent corner in our house to read my books from day and night. And, and I became a pirate one day and another day I was a cowboy and so forth. And um, so I, I loved stories. And, and then I discovered, look at all those books on my bookshelves. As wonderful as they are and full of stories, there are 7 billion stories around us. Uh, and everyone carries, everyone carries not only one, but many stories. Um, and you know, I think everybody likes to understand what is that secret web that makes humanity. And, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm really just a bozo. I'm just asking questions. But in the stories, in stories and in storytelling, I discover um, what I think is, 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 is the spider web, it's the weaving of the fabric of humanity um, that is made of so different colors. And, and every, every story is a little color in that huge carpet of, of mankind and I love to collect them and they're and they're fun you know you can laugh you can think uh you you can tell them to others 
you can entertain an evening in, instead of telling people how important you are and you know how many FTEs you have and what budget you run that is boring everybody off. Just be there and listen to their stories. Um, and, and, and the whole company will be entertained. Uh, you can be quiet and enjoy your meal and the others are entertained as well. Just ask the right questions. That's, that's the fun of the game. Just ask the right questions. So if you were teaching empathy, you teach them two things. One, shut up <laughs> and ask the right questions. And from your story, I think you're leading us to a conclusion that the right questions are those that uh, give the freedom, the safety, the trust of the other to tell their story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, on quiet, there, there was one big lesson I learned when I was a journalist. I was 25 and I was, um, it was one day before interviewing the German Chancellor Cole. And uh, I was well prepared, but still I was really scared. Uh, a 25-year-old rookie uh, interviewing uh, the big German Chancellor. Um, and I called up my, my editor, who was one of my big mentors in my life, who I owe a lot. And I asked him, you know, uh, Franco, um, I have this interview tomorrow. I'm well prepared, but what if this guy answers to a question I ask him with another question and I can't answer it? How embarrassing is it for a newspaper? It was a very important Italian newspaper. Um, and he said, look, Emilio, let me teach you one little thing. Alpha males cannot live with void. They cannot live with a vacuum. So you ask your question and let him answer. And then shut your trap. Be quiet. They will fill that quiet because they have to. And you will get the most interesting stories. And the untold stories are being told then. And that was a wonderful message, that, which I then, in my coaching education at Mala Campbell, I could deepen with the reading of Nancy uh, Klein, whom I uh, also talked to um, a couple of times, a wonderful woman who wrote the book, Time to Think. And she's describing how businesses and teams are best served by the ability to listen, which is one of the things that inspired me um, to write on communicative leadership and dealing with that, which is everything is based on listening. And as many, many times, um, you know, the big consultants and strategy consultants um, turn out to be 2,500 years old. There was a guy called Zeno from Elia. Elia is the old Greek word for Sicily. And Zeno of Elia said, um, it's not a coincidence that we have two ears and one mouth for us to listen twice as much as we speak. So there's so much wisdom there and it's business wisdom because companies who listen well to their stakeholders are more successful. I, uh, I just love that. The, um, if you, we are in one of your good friends who turned me on to you um, is focused on uh, the education and the training for leaders around VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. And uh, that's kind of a state or condition of the human species. But right now, you and I are living in interesting times. We've lived through two years of COVID. We've got um, many other very uh, interesting and frightening challenges as a species and a world that are going on. And we have most recently Ukraine. Um, so with your background 
I'm fascinated to see what's front of mind for you in your challenge to the leadership of our world. What are, what are the, the, the areas you would have them focus on? I think you called them earlier in our conversation, tipping points. Correct. Yes. Um, when, if, if you part uh, the time in, in a new era, which is uh, the AC and BC era, the anti-COVID and, 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 uh, and uh, the after COVID and before COVID times, um, I think COVID um, as, as a typical VUCA phenomenon is acting like a magnifying lens on, on, on what is happening around us. It, it's like bruised skin. It makes us very alert to things because our the whole world was covered in in one in one item in one topic in one issue. It was on all the media. It was was from indigenous uh, families in South America to to people in in, in Novo Sibirsk. It was a matter for everybody. And and those magnifying lens um, look at at different phenomena. And you can add more to the six that I will highlight. And I looked at issues that were very important for leadership and management just before Corona hit us. And, and there were there were six. Um, one was ESG. You remember just before Corona hit, we had Greta Thunberg speaking to United Nations, having Fridays for Future. Everybody was speaking about the climate change and companies were driving their, their business towards a more sustainable business model that could sustain the challenge of whether they would impact environment, society, and the governance at large. And now COVID looks at, at this issue and suddenly because of the lockdowns, we discovered that you could diminish pollution enormously in ways that were not expected. In January, 2020, um, Jonathan Franzen, just before COVID hit, said, the, the American writer, let's just forget about the ability to deal with the climate change. This will happen. We will not avoid it. Let's just try to manage the consequences. And then suddenly, four months later, Germany, for example, had a third of exhaustion that it had normally. And from the satellites, you could hear a totally cleared landscape. Um, just look at societal. A friend of mine, um, uh, Angela Peacock, a wonderful lady, she's, she's the, the master of unconscious bias and inclusion. She told me an observation that I wasn't aware of, that people with, uh, with uh, mobility disabilities in times of Zoom calls and, and Teams calls, um, felt taken much more seriously because nobody could see they were in wheelchairs and, and they were taken more seriously. They had, so the societal look at situations changed during COVID because of the Zooming and the remote working and governance. Of course, there were some probably stupid, I would call them CEOs and chairmen and chairpeople who said, thanks God we have COVID. So we need to have our shareholders meeting just as, as virtual meetings. It will be able for us to cut off the mic and, and manage them much more curtly. Others wiser said, let's hopefully gather again because if there's one day there is democracy for the shareholders, it's the shareholder meeting, we should let it happen. So um, thoughtfulness about issues of this kind. And as I do perfectly remember what kind of pajama I had on in that night, in July 20, 1969, when Neil Armstrong set his first foot on the moon and, and what he said and what I managed to hear as a child. And as people will exactly know where they were when the wall and Berlin fell or, or September 11 occurred, 
people will remember perfectly how their bosses were during COVID. And if the boss was a bastard, they will remember him as such. If the boss was a caring person, they will remember her as such. So was my boss a bastard or a hero? And that gives us a choice as leaders. Let me look at the second uh, area, that is digitization. Everybody spoke of being becoming digital uh, before COVID-19 happened. Every old company, old economy company tried to convince their shareholders that they were up to a digital way and so forth, digital business models, apps, and so forth. Then COVID comes and suddenly um, those in the old companies who were dreaded and hated, the IT people who came up with the firewalls, with the virtual client and so forth, suddenly became heroes. They allowed people to work from home. So the nerds who were hated in companies suddenly became heroes and the companies who were prepared for it were able to go about it. One of my clients has an, is a company with an HR budget of $54 million, let's say euro for dollars. And the HR boss in April, 2020, went to the CEO and said, I would like to spend all this money this month. And he said, you're nuts. You know, we have a crisis, okay? We're in the middle of it. We don't know where to go and you want to spend your budget in one month? Yes, I want. And he did. He allowed him to do that. They helped everybody in that company to be equipped with, with proper equipment to be able to work from home. And they told them, we come back to work in July 2021, which was unthinkable of in that moment. So what was a big hurdle before COVID suddenly became an easy to do thing. The CEO signed off immediately cuts and so forth. Or look at ambidexterity. Ambidexterity was studied in the 70s, I will spare you that, but was basically about an organization principle that could combine flexibility and efficiency uh, under the same uh, leadership. Basically, you could say, be a growth manager on one hand and be a turnaround manager on the other hand in one person, being able to work with both hands. That's why it's called ambidexterity. Now, it sounds like a theoretical debate, but what happened in COVID was exactly that. You needed to keep all hands on deck to stabilize the ship, look at turnover, sales, uh, you know, your employees. And you could and should, and some did very well, grab the opportunities that it brought. Look at myself. Because of COVID, where many people died, it was a tragic and still is a tragic threat to humanity. But because of the new ways of work, I was allowed to move to Rome for two years with my kids to learn Italian and for me to enjoy great sunshine compared to Munich, because all my clients totally accepted being coached um, remotely by myself. So that was, so you have growth and turn uh, turnaround. And, you know, the headhunters I talked to, they confirmed to me, they say, well, we're looking for CEOs and top managers who are able to do both. Now, your question and your tipping point as a manager is, do I want, Right now, turnaround is asked for most companies. Do you want it to stick to that only and just be the job killer? Sorry to, to be so rude. It's not the turnaround manager is not just a job killer, but he's also a job killer. Okay. So, or do I want to combine it with a chance to reinvent my business and to make growth out of it? The fourth area is, I'm sorry, it, it, I'm listing them up. Um, the fourth area is motivation. Um, you know, before uh, Corona, Lots of the corporate world was still based on the idea that carrot and stick uh, was the proper way to manage um, employees who would work 24-7, 365, 
shedding blood and tears. Okay, that was the principle that old CEOs based their own learning on and so forth. And they started, before Corona, they had started to detect, you know, Daniel Pink, that motivation is made of more than just money, and that there are three job categories, the job, the career, and, and the calling. And so they were starting to grab it. Suddenly, Corona hits, and there you see that people are, are totally re, re, um, readdressing their motivation. If you think Pink has mastery as one, autonomy as the second, and purpose as the third. Now, think of mastery. Uh, the ability, for example, to deal with IT questions, with remote working, with doing breakout, room, uh, breakout rooms. How many people really knew how to manage a Zoom call, a Teams call, or a WebEx call before COVID? Few did, but now everybody does. Um, and uh, so it, it impacted our mastery. Of course, it impacted our autonomy. Think of the command and control managers who are going through the open space office with their whips and their boots, checking whether Susie was on, on monster.com or whether she was filling out the Excel sheet. They, they were just powerless. They couldn't control. Um, I had a CEO who had a brilliant idea. I had such a laugh. This guy said, you know, oh, you, you always challenge me on innovation. I'm thinking about finding the corporate inspector and say, what, what the hell is that? I want someone to check whether they really work at home. Say so you're crazy. You're killing your jobs. These people will quit the day they have the first guy ringing on the door. I mean, so forth. So motivation was uh, totally challenged, and and people are questioning the purpose. A coaching colleague of mine uh, told me a nice story. He has a five-year-old kid, and he's picked up uh, his son taking a tennis shoe at his ear, pretending this to be a cell phone, and he said. Um, Yes, um, I'm sorry he said to that. I have a leadership call, five-year-old son with a tennis shoe on his ear. And I said, um, and then he said to the tennis shoe, I don't know whether the kid is disturbing us for this call. Now, the family questions the purpose uh, of what you do and, and the autonomy. So how, do we, how are we going to manage uh, motivation after corona? And then fifth, relationships. Relationships are very important. During the first lockdown, I had a town hall meeting with the company I chair. And, you know, after that, at the end, we had a little, um, you know, chat uh, and, and we had a question, you know, what, how do you feel about this? And one uh, colleague said, you know, I really miss you. I would like to hug you. And in one second, she got all the likes from all the other employees. So the longing for relationship is, is very important. But what we also learned is there, there are in-betweens between virtual and physical uh, interaction. I learned it the bad way when my daughter first sent me a message saying, uh, you know, uh, LOL. And I thought, how sweet. She says, lots of love. And my wife laughed out loud and she said, no, she's laughing out loud. So our kids taught us through emojis, emoticons, and, and through abbreviations to express even emotions through technical means, like an emoji or, or just a digital uh, function. So we're discovering things in between. And I think that the lockdown has, has, has looked at the challenges for lots of peeling people, you know, single moms or single dads with homeschooling and, and home feeding and home working, uh, people longing for the office, and the real thing is, there is no decision. You, you, you follow the discussion in Silicon Valley, remote working versus, uh, versus physical working. You come back for three days. What is the right solution? The right solution 
is asking your employees. We did it in our, one of our companies and we do with the companies we consult. And the, the result was not surprising. It was so logical. There was not one voice for or a majority for coming back to the offices or staying home. People were smart. They said, if we have to do eight Zoom calls, one after the other, it doesn't make sense to make it like the hens in, uh, in, uh, on a farm, one next to each other. Let me do it at home with my cat and my dog and I know where the fridge is. But if we have to do a brainstorming, if we have to do a teamwork, then let's go back to our offices. That is conventional wisdom. That is common sense. That is smart. So we need to talk to our people. And last but not least, it's about leadership. Now, leadership is one thing that is very much based on experience. I, as an old fart, have my campaigns on my breast as a corporate general. You know, impact of terrorism on business, September 11th. Impact of natural catastrophes on business, the tsunami, um, earthquakes, uh, and so forth. Uh, financial crisis, three of them. I have all my medals on my breast. If we were looking for the person with the medal managing a global pandemic in 2020, we would have looked for Miss, Mrs. Wanabi. Mrs. Wanabi was then 123 years old. She was the oldest human being on earth in that moment. And she was a teenager when the last global pandemic hit the world. And she definitely was not a leader. So who can we tap when we don't have any human living having the experience? If you're lacking experience, you go back to character. Character mount. Values count. Because a good leader is the one that is taking the opportunity to ask the proper questions. How can I support you? What is behind your screen with, you know, with the foggy background because you tuned it away? Is it like a friend of mine who is a manager, his wife is a manager, they have two kids and they had just enough computers, but even though they live in a large house, he had the ironing flat board, flat ironing board where he had his computer on. And, and that's a privileged person. Others needed to do homeworking and homeschooling out of one smartphone because they, were, they, were, they didn't have proper computing. So the good leader is the one asking, how are you? Where are you? What are conditions you're in? Okay. And taking time to do that one by one. It costs more time. Come on. If you're honest, you must admit that remote working makes life much more efficient because people don't commute any longer, they work harder hours. So if this is the case, then you can take yourself one hour a day for your 10 most important direct reports and ask them, how are you? So Emilio, that was fascinating. And here's what I got out of it. And it, it, it's always interesting because when I espouse a hypothesis, I'm always testing it. I'm I'm pressure testing it against others like you. So you gave me what you think, and you said there may be more, but six puzzle pieces here. But if I were to take them all in the puzzle you painted for me, it's how to live a valuable life personally, professionally, and in the context of teams, which we call companies. Personally, professionally, and context teams, these are all tipping points that navigate the risk of each one of these and the opportunity and does it through, um, through, kind, uh, through, like you said, empathy, through the art of listening, through the art of reaching across to touch another. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, one of my mentors 
was a guy called uh, Heinz Goldman. He was a great guy. He was 14 when he asked his father, why should we should leave Germany? And it was in 1938 and the father had served in the army in the First World War. And he said, yes, we may be Jewish, but I was an officer in the German army. Nothing will happen to us. Nothing will happen to me. And Heinz was brave enough to leave Germany, 14, and his parents were murdered. Heinz came back after the war and, and he said, always tongue in cheek, he was a very nice man. He said, you know, my revenge on my German fellows is I'm going to teach them good marketing and communication. I'm going to get lots of money from them. And, and he taught me one thing, his acronym that I love is EMMA. And I always tell, told my people, my uh, people working with me, hey, guys, you may have the IQ of my left shoe sole, but if you remember what I'm telling you now, you will succeed in your work as communicators and leaders. And that is EMMA. And the acronym goes E for empathy or expectations. Be able to put yourself into the shoes of others. Being empathetic doesn't mean anything else than knowing what the others expect. The first M is motivation. What is driving the person, the stakeholder you're interacting with? Why are they here in my team meeting? What is driving them? What is motivating them? The second M is mentality. You know, if you address a group of 20-year-old Swedish students, it will be different from a group of veterans from uh, Colombia. Um, and, you know, and that's an easy call. Um, within companies like financial institutions, you may have actuaries and mathematicians who have a totally different mentality from lawyers. And investment lawyers are totally different from insurance lawyers. The one are risk-prone and the others are risk-averse. So what kind of mentality is there? And A is analyze them. Analyze, ask, ask your stakeholders what they think. You know, I'm planning a town hall meeting tomorrow and I'll, I don't know what they expect. Ask them, damn it, call them up. Um, what are you expecting from today's, tomorrow's meeting? Uh, what are the things that you dread, that you, that you fear, that you, that you like, that you dream of? Um, go out and ask and listen to your people. One of the best books on HR practices is called Love Them or Lose Them. It was the old handbook of General Electric. It was the internal handbook and it was published, uh, one of the best reads I've ever had. And one of the, the suggestions and pieces of advice they give is, you are a good leader if by the end of the week, you know two or three, two or three stories from your direct reports because you've listened to them, whether it's the story how they improved their handicap over the last weekend, or whether their children had measles or whatever, have two or three stories of your diary reports at the end of the week, and that will show that you're a good leader. And that, <clears throat> and that is why we have great conversations. Emilio, uh, I hope we can continue this journey because we have learned at this moment in time, in this context, in this unique moment, how you see leadership, risk, opportunity, and the world. And uh, it's just been fascinating. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Ron. It was just, <laughs> it was just reacting to you and, 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 and the way you are and the way you think. And you made me bladder like, like an old... Uh, you, know, um, you know, demented person because you triggered thoughts in me. And that's what conversations are about. It's an interaction. And we've come full circle because he used the word demented and we opened up by calling him the jester. And uh, so we've come full circle. Emilio, thanks again. Thank you.